Well, good morning and welcome to Horizon. It is uh, great to see you. Um, hey, I want to start our service today. Um, as, as we all know, a tornado ripped through our part of the country, um, and it was tragic. Um, so I'd love to pray just to start for uh, those families, um, and then we'll jump in. Um, God, thank you, gosh, that even in the midst of sorrow, that you are still near. And we lift up the, the families of um, those who are lost in Kentucky and other parts of our country, and just pray that you would meet them um, in the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their suffering, um, that you would draw close to them. Uh, we ask that in your name. Amen. Um, well, once again, friends, we are, are jumping back into this Christmas season where we've been taking a look at the names of Jesus and what they mean for our world and moments like tornadoes hitting and what they mean for us in our lives. Um, and once again, we're going to peer through the Christmas kaleidoscope. And as, as you know, when you turn a kaleidoscope, and I would pass this around except for COVID, um, as you turn a kaleidoscope, the picture changes uh, depending on where you're looking. And that's much the same with the Bible as, as it talks about Jesus. If you look in one part of the New Testament, it'll give one name and another part another name. And they each are meant to bring us better understanding and uh, meaning and purpose for why Christ came. Um, so today we're going to dive in and look at one final name out of Matthew, which again is a biography of Jesus. And uh, we're going to do it a little different today. I'm going to read the entire section. So it's about 10 verses. Okay, just to warn you. Um, but it'll be great because it'll set up the rest of our morning um, really well. And then I won't have to refer back to it over and over again. Um, so let me jump in here. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? And you're going to want to put that one in your back pocket, born the king of the Jews, because we'll come back to that quite a bit. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it was written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also or kill him. Um, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we've all possibly come into that story before, heard that story. And it's interesting because Herod is terrified um, of this born king of the Jews. This ancient prophecy threatens him so much that he sends the wise men to go find Jesus. And let's just say he's got bad intentions with that request. Um, but what Herod is missing is that the 
ancient prophecy that is quoted um, doesn't talk about a royal, majestic king. It talks about a, a shepherd. That the first Noel isn't a celebration of a typical earthly monarch. It's the celebration of a humble shepherd king that would come to rule our world with grace and love and peace. Man, that was beautiful. So Noel. I don't know if you know this. It's a word we've borrowed from the French vernacular. And its original uh, form is natalis, which means happy birthday. So how appropriate for Christmas. Um, but I love the words in that song of come and see what God has done. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to see the shepherd king um, that God sends into our world. And what we're going to see is that this shepherd king, he is the exact kind of leader, the exact kind of king, the exact kind of shepherd that we have always longed for but never could truly find. Because if we're being honest, good leaders are hard to find and bad leaders are easy to trip over because they're everywhere. Um, And God looked down on our world and he saw that same thing. 600 years before Jesus was born, God looks down on his people and he sees corrupt leader after corrupt leader just abusing his children. And he says this, he says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Right? That's like day one of shepherd school. Lesson one is like, feed the sheep. Check. Right? They're not even feeding the sheep. Instead, they're getting fat. That they are killing the the animals and eating the fat and clothing themselves. And then they're not doing things shepherds should do. Like heal and protect and bound up broken bones and bring back lost and wayward sheep. Instead, with force and cruelty, they're ruling And God looks down and he's like, that's not going to work for my children. And and like any good dad would do, any good leader, he hatches a plan. Okay, again, 600 years before Jesus is born, this is what he says. He says, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I love the language there. It's so epic, right? That God's going to go find us on a cloudy and dark day. Um, And it's the old adage of like, need a job done right? You're just going to have to do it yourself, right? And God, God does that. And for 600 years, God's people are going to be looking for the shepherd king. They're going to be longing for him to come. And then one day, 500 miles away from where Jesus will be born, these men that are called magi, and we call them wise men, who are trained astronomers, they know the stars, and astrologers, they can read the stars, they see a sign, okay? They see a star they've never seen before, and it's behaving oddly, okay? And they know from their training, generation after generation, that this is the sign of the shepherd king. So they start to follow it. And they'll follow it for 500 miles. Friends, that's the distance from here to Washington, D.C. And eventually they'll find the shepherd king. And today what we're going to do is we're going to join them on that journey, that 500-mile trek. And as we do that, we're going to come across three lessons 
that can help us as we search for the kind of leader we've always wanted, kind of leader we've always longed for, but never quite been able to find, the shepherd king. And the first lesson is this, is to seek the real thing. Seek the real thing. And sometimes the best way to really appreciate the authentic, genuine article is to have a few uh, relationships, a few go-arounds with a counterfeit, right? Um, I remember growing up that Coca-Cola had a slogan. Anybody remember it? Coca-Cola, it's the real thing, right? (laughs) And I have found this to be so true in my life, okay, Um, that you go to a restaurant, right, and you're like, oh, I'll have a Coke. Okay, they bring out a Coke, Coke, quotation marks, and and you, like, look at it, like, oh, it looks like Coke. Oh, it smells like Coke. You're like, take a big old drink, and you're like, blah, blah. You're spitting it out because, like, this is Pepsi, right? Like, Pepsi is not Coke. This is, like, counterfeit Coke. Pepsi is like garbage water. Coke is like the nectar of the gods, right? That like the best way to appreciate Coke is to accidentally drink a little bit of Pepsi and you're like, oh. Well, in in Jesus' day, there was a counterfeit king, a counterfeit king named Herod. And it says as the wise men show up that they show up during the reign of Herod. And what do we know about Herod? Well, quite a bit, because Herod, like Jesus, was actually a historical person who lived. Um, so he's written about not only in the Bible, but by other scholars and historians. And we know one thing about Herod, that he was a small little man. That Josephus, a Jewish historian, says that he was very short of stature, okay? And other historians have placed him at about four foot five, four foot six. So he's just this short little man, okay? Um, But don't let his height fool you because he was brutal. He would reign for 37 years with an iron fist. During his reign, he would kill 8,000 Jews under his leadership. During his reign, he would kill several of his own wives. He would kill several of his own sons. He would kill nieces, nephews, mother-in-laws, partridge in a pear tree. He's just a, a little tiny killing machine. Okay, like I I literally think of him like a little mafia boss, right? And he's just sitting on his throne and he's like, you got a problem with Herod? You know, you got a problem with Herod, you're going to sleep with the fishes, okay? And I'm Italian, so I can use that that voice there. Um, That he was so ruthless, his uh, reputation had gotten around and his boss, Caesar, said that it is safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be Herod's son. (laughs) That the pigs had it better than the sons did. That, friends, Herod is the exact kind of shepherd that 600 years before God looked down on and said, I've got to come and replace them. My people, they deserve better. So that's our counterfeit king. And over here we have Jesus. It says the uh, wise men came looking for the born king of the Jews. He's the real deal. Herod's the Pepsi. Herod's like the Dollar General Cola. Jesus is like the Coca-Cola, okay? Um, and the born real king of the Jews, it's really important. So Herod, Herod was a magistrate, and what he did is he forced people to call him the king of the Jews. He said, call me king of the Jews or you die. And they said, okay, you're the king of the Jews. <laughs> Where Jesus was the born king of the Jews, the real deal. A few weeks ago, Chad talked about this, and he, he talked about the Messiah and how there were hundreds of prophecies about the coming Messiah. 
And Chad like drew up the genealogy that the Messiah was going to have to be related to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David and Obi-Wan Kenobi might have been in there. I mean, there was just all of these names. And Chad's drawing it out. And then he had to be born in a certain town and from a certain place eventually, live in Egypt. All of these prophecies. I mean, there's so many that like nobody was just going to stumble into the role of Messiah and be like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm the Messiah then. Okay. Uh, that it was so specific. In fact, there was a, uh, a study done by a guy named David Stoner, who was the um, chairman of mathematics and astronomy at the Pasadena College. So he knows math a lot more than me. And he looked at the world at that time. He, he counted how many um, people were on earth. And he did a study where he looked at just the most eight, eight like undeniable prophecies that Jesus fulfilled related to this guy from this region, from this tribe, born here, just eight of them. And he runs the numbers and he discovers that the odds of that happening were one in 10 to the 17th power. Like, look at that number. Like, that is a huge number. That, like, Jesus is the real deal. That, that was not very likely. Like, you are more likely to be bitten by a shark while being struck by lightning, like while playing cards with Bigfoot, than Jesus was to become the Messiah by accident. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. He is the real king, the real deal. And in a world full of wannabe kings, right, we see them all over our lives. From kindergarten to the nursing home, we see wannabe kings. People that just want to reign and tell everybody what to do. But in a world of wannabe kings, don't we want the real deal, the real thing? Well, the the wise men did. And for them, it was worth traveling 500 miles. So they journey for many months. So we don't know exactly. It's 12, 16, 18 months. They journey. They get to Jerusalem. They're looking for the king of the Jews. So where do you think they go? They go to the palace, right? Because they're looking for a king. And they go to the palace, and friends, they have no idea how much danger they're in, right? They're walking into the, the throne room of mini-mafia Herod here, okay? And I picture it like this. You know, they walk in, Herod sitting on his throne, thinking murderous thoughts, you know, and they're like, <coughs> excuse me, we are looking for the king of the Jews. You know, and Herod's sitting there, and he's, what you talking about? I'm the king of the Jews, Oh, no, 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 sorry. We're looking for the born king of the Jews. <laughs> you just tell people you're the king. You know, and I picture all of Herod's guards. They're like sitting there and they're like, oh, no, this is not going to go well for these guys. You know, and they're looking at the wise men. They're like, Shh. you know, and um, because they know Herod. Herod once boiled to death one of his children at a party. An evil, evil man. And they know that. Um, but the Bible says that Herod is troubled, okay? And I think that's like the understatement of the millennium because inside Herod is seething. He's like, who are these guys not calling me the king of the Jews, you know? Um, but like any good supervillain, he has the ability to kind of like play it cool for a little bit, you know, so he's, he's there. And, um, Herod's going to ask a couple questions and then make a request. Okay, so Herod's going to call in his religious leaders and he's going to say, so fellas, you know, this born king of the Jews... You know, like if I wanted to find him, you know, just to hang out and get to know him or strangle him, um, where, where might I find this king of the Jews? And his leaders, they quote to him this 700-year-old prophecy from Micah um, where they say, hey, he's going to be born in 
Bethlehem of Judea. Okay, duly noted. I know where to find him. Okay, and he sends them out, and then he calls in the wise men. Okay, and again, he's like, so fellas, you know, thanks for showing up at my house. I'm glad you guys are here visiting, unannounced, but, you know, thanks you're here. Um, so when did you start to see this star? Like, when did the star show up? You know, because he's trying to figure out just how old Jesus might be. Because when the star showed up, the baby was born, right? And right now Jesus is 12, 16, 18 months old. So they tell him that, and he says, okay, thank you very much. And then he says, hey, I'm going to make you an offer that you can't refuse, you know, if you want to live. Um, why don't you guys go and find the born king of the Jews for me, and then I'm going to come, and you, you tell me, and I'm going to go and, like, worship him too. You know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and, and he sends them to find the born king of the Jews. He's setting his trap. And they'll go. They'll, they'll find Jesus. They'll follow the star and as I think about this idea of seeking the real thing, I see Herod, who's seeking the real thing to extinguish the real thing. And I see the wise men who are seeking the real thing to worship the real thing. And I think it begs the question of us, man, have I ever sought the real thing? Like, have I spent any time seeking out Jesus? This, this shepherd king. Like, have I thought about that? What a great time of year to consider that, by the way. Um, well, I can promise you, I've never walked 500 miles seeking anything. It would be like a million dollars, maybe. I might go for that, maybe. Um, but I do remember a time where I began to seek God in my life. And it was my freshman year of high school. And uh, for all of us know that high school is hard, right? Hard things start to happen as you get in high school. And, and I was really seeking God. Like, are you real? Do you see all the garbage in my life? Do you care? And I showed up at a camp. I got invited to a camp. And there were cute girls there. So I was like, sign me up. You know, I'm on the bus going to camp. Get to Camp Kern, Young Life Camp. And the speaker says this verse. He says, hey, God is saying, hey, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I remember hearing that and being like, oh, that's great. God wants to be found. But it also sounds like God's like playing hide and seek, right? That God's like, don't look over here. Ooh, you know, and then he's hiding behind the stool. And, um, like, why is God playing hide and seek? Well, I don't think he is because he sent a star, right? <laughs> he wasn't hiding in Bethlehem. He brought people to himself. I, I don't think it's so much as hiding as guiding. That actually God guides us to himself, and here's what I mean. When we were, uh, our kids were little, Becky and I, we'd play hide-and-seek with them. Okay, so they're two, three, four years old, you know. And uh, we'd be, like, playing hide-and-seek. So I'd go, and I'd find a curtain, you know, in the dining room. I'm hiding behind a curtain, like, this big, and I'm this big. And, and somehow they're not finding me, okay? So our kids are probably not the brightest bulbs in the drawer, apparently, <laughs> at three or four. Sorry, kids. They're back there. Um, but they're not finding me, you know. And I'm like, I'm in the microwave. And they're like, shh, shh. You're not in the microwave, you know. Um, but eventually, I'm like, I'm just ready for this to end. So I'm like, look in the dining room. Let me not block my microphone, Todd. Look in the dining room. You know, and I'm whispering. And they go to the dining room, and they're looking behind the table. You know, and eventually they're like, oh, daddy. You know, and hugs and cuddles ensue. Um, well, as I think about my seeking of God in my life in high school, that's what I really think of is that, sure, I did a little seeking, you know, as much as I could, but really God just guided me to himself, that I heard the whispers 
And I heard the whispers through relationships that I had older friends in Madeira that were followers of Christ. And as I got to know them, they weren't total weirdos, right? Which is what I kind of expected. Uh, They're awesome and they love me and I wanted to be more like them because I saw something in their friendships. And then I began to hear the voice of God um, in the circumstances of my life that, you know, in high school stuff starts to happen. Grandma dies, that's hard. I had brothers in trouble with the law, so my older brother went to prison. That was hard. You have breakups, you have acne, you have all this stuff in high school. It's just a mess. And uh, I remember hearing just a whisper of like, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this is going on in your life, and I'm with you. And at that point, I don't even believe in God, but I'm like hearing that. And, th- and then I say, I even started to hear the whispers of God in the Bible. And let me tell you, I wasn't cracking it open myself. Uh, but I would go to Young Life or I'd go to youth group uh, because there were girls there, right? I show up because I want to meet girls. And, and instead, I heard these leaders get up and they would talk about Jesus. And they would read out of the Bible. And I'm like, man, I started hearing these whispers of like, man, God loved me enough that, that Jesus came and he, he loves me how I am, like all the garbage and all. And, and slowly those whispers got louder and those whispers got clearer. And eventually God led me to find him, that he's behind the curtain. Hey, I'm over here, you know, and, and I found God. And what I would say um, is that in almost 30 years now is that, man, I have found him to be the real thing, the genuine article. So that's our first lesson is to seek the real thing. Our second lesson is this. It is to follow the voice that knows you best. So again, in Herod's little hissy fit, he's calling in all his advisors. He's trying to learn everything he can. And he calls in his advisors and he learns where Jesus is going to be born, but they give him some other information. They say, he's going to be a ruler who will shepherd his people. That he's going to be a shepherd king. And why that's important is in that culture in the Middle East, sheep were so valuable. Okay, sheep were like the perfect commodity. You could trade them, you could sell them, you could eat them in the middle of a famine, you could drink their milk, wear their wool, you could ride them around like little horses at a kid's party. I mean, they were just like perfect. They were like the duct tape of the animal kingdom, okay? Um, And they protected them. So at night, if you lived near a city, they would take all the sheep, all the different flocks, and they would put them in a communal pen in the city. And it's, it's kind of walled off, fenced off. And they had a gatekeeper who would watch them at night. And then in the morning, the shepherds would come back. Okay, and one by one, the shepherds would walk up to the gate. Gatekeeper would open it. And that shepherd would start calling for his sheep by name. And by this point, folks, all the sheep are intermingled, right? Like they're doing sheep things. They're playing hopscotch. I don't know what they're doing, but they're all mixed together. And somehow each shepherd could call out only his sheep or her sheep. And they would follow his voice or her voice. It's amazing to share with you, but let me show you. Let's watch a quick video together. So here, here you have a little bit of an experiment where different shepherds are going to call the sheep, but they're not the real shepherd at first. Quiet. 
sheep are not interested at all. Here's the shepherd. Look at them, look at them. It's not the words, it's not the tone, it's the shepherd. And as you see, they'll start following him. I think he kind of looks like Where's Waldo, um, but he's, he's leading the sheep. And what we see in the Bible is this shepherd-sheep analogy over and over again. That again, 700 years before Jesus is born, Micah says, oh, the ruler is going to come and he's going to shepherd his people. 600 years before Jesus is born, God looks down and says, my people are being abused. I'm going to come and I'll be their shepherd. Jesus comes as a shepherd and then 30 years into his life, he even doubles down on that analogy and he says this. He says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And I love the words Jesus uses there. These these intimate words of two things. Of being known, that the sheep are known. The shepherd calls them by name. But also knowing that the, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And the analogy is true for us, that we can be both known and know. We can be known by God and we can know him. And as I think of that, um, the words Jesus uses, this idea of someone's voice you know calling you by name, I think back to childhood. I encourage you to do the same. And I bet each of us can hear the voice of mom or dad like calling us. Like I think of summers, you know, after dinner um, where we would be playing in the neighborhood and uh, I would hear a piercing voice through the neighborhood of my mom saying Ryan and now Ryan and you know she's been gone 10 years and I can still hear that voice that that's the kind of intimacy that Jesus is describing here that hey I want to be the voice that you know and you trust and you can follow right like that's the kind of intimacy that the shepherd king offers to us And the best news is, isn't just that we can know him, or I'm sorry, that he can know us. Because the IRS knows you. You don't want to know them back. Um, But the best news is, is that we can know him. We can get to know his voice and trust his voice and follow his voice. That when we come to points in our lives where we don't know which field to go into, which trail to follow, that we can hear a voice that we, we know and we trust. The voice that knows us best. And man, I would say in a world where we are drowning in voices, 
Which, think about it. Think of the times you look at your phone, listen to the news, listen to the car and the radio, talk to friends. It's like every day we are drowning in voices that want us to buy something, to do something, to go somewhere, to believe this, to say that, to think that. Um, where you're drowning in voices, which voice do you want to listen to? Right? Like, this is like whack-a-mole, trying to figure out which voice out here to listen to. Well, the invitation is, hey, listen to the voice that knows you best. Follow the voice that knows you best. Because he's a, a kind and loving shepherd. He's not behind like a cowboy with a whip driving you. He's in the middle with a shepherd's hook leading you. Which voice do you want to follow? And, and that brings us to our, our third and final lesson of the day in our search for the shepherd king is to treasure the one who treasures you. And we've all seen this play out, right, in the movies with the wise men, the treasure, all that stuff, okay? So it's like, here we go. The wise men walk in, and they're, they're finally dressed in their nicest pajamas, right? And they got on their fancy hats, you know, and they, they walk in with their treasure, and they put it down before Jesus, you know. And I'm always thinking, like, hey, fellas, like a stuffed animal might have been more appreciated by the little guy, you know, bouncy ball. I don't know. But they, they bring him treasure, which is interesting. And maybe there's a skeptic or two out here where you're like, okay, church guy, I'm on to you now, buddy. Yeah, you're about to use the Bible to ask me for money, right? <laughs> right? Hold your purse, honey. Um, right? That's what maybe a few of you are thinking. Um, well, I would say it does say gold, and we also take frankincense and myrrh, if you have any of that at home. Um, you know, because fancy high-priced youth pastors like myself, we don't just grow on trees. You know what I'm saying? No, I digress. Uh, but have you ever thought about why God asks us for a portion of our treasure? Right? Actually falling on hard times in heaven. You know, he's like, man, folks, we need to get a little GoFundMe going here. You know, the, the golden streets are getting a little, you know, tarnished. You know, polish them up. Um, is God hurting for cash? No, not at all. It's more a matter of our heart that actually Jesus defines it for us. Later in his biography that we looked at earlier in Matthew, he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Think about that for a second. He's saying, hey, the things that you treasure, which sure, sometimes are treasure, right? Like your bank account, your stocks, your retirement, all that fun stuff. Um, sometimes, though, the things we treasure are our reputation, right? Our, uh, our job title, right? Our health, our relationships, our resume, you know, our kids' behavior. You know, whatever that thing is that you take and you put it in a safe and you, you lock it and you wrap it up with chains and locks and you're like, nobody's touching my treasure. You know, it's my precious from the Lord of the Rings. You know, whatever that thing is for you, God's saying, hey, that's that's where your heart is. That's the thing that you've given your heart to. That, friends, God isn't after our money. He's after our hearts. And you know that if somebody gets your heart, they get it all anyway. Our kids own us, right? If they really need it, we're emptying the bank accounts um, because they have our hearts. That God is after our heart. And we see this over and over again in Scripture. So in the Old Testament, God uses an analogy where he's like, hey, I am a husband Hosea and my wife Gomer, I love her, but she runs from lover to lover to lover, and I, I, can't, I can't get her to come home, and I just want to win her heart. And in the New Testament, God says, hey, 
I am a father, a loving father, and my youngest son, he comes to me and he says, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me half the money that I'm going to get when you die anyway. And he takes it and he leaves. And the Bible says every day the father goes to the hills and, and he's looking for his son because he wants to win his heart. The friends, God treasures each of us so much that, that he, he entered into the chaos to be our shepherd. And what he longs for in return is for us to treasure him back. So this Christmas, you know, as we keep heading towards Christmas, I, I wonder if the shepherd king is, is trying to win your heart. I know that sounds cheesy, but what, is, is he trying to win your heart for the first time or, or maybe for the first time in a long time? Right now, is the shepherd king um, guiding you to himself? Right? Is there a new star in your world? Maybe not a literal one, but there's this new thing. You're like, man, God's, God's kind of doing something there. I don't, it feels like he's drawing me to himself. Like there's this thing going on, a relationship, a life circumstance. And Well, man, I would encourage you, if that's happening, to seek the real thing. Chase that. Chase what God's doing. Or is the shepherd king whispering? Is he whispering, hey, I'm over here. Come on, one more step. Well, I would encourage you to follow the voice that knows you best. Take that step and follow it. And lastly, as we head towards Christmas, and as you follow the, the shepherd king, the leader we've always wanted, the, the leader that treasures you, know that, that what he wants in return is for you to treasure him back. That he wants your heart. That's the, the greatest treasure that he longs for from each of us. Man, what, what a cool song. What a great way to end. Um, hey, in closing words here, next week we have something really special I want to make sure you all know about. Okay, it is called our Carols and Reading Service. Okay, and it is going to be something like you've never done before. It's going to be a real nostalgic yet intimate time where we'll um, sing some Christmas carols together. We'll do uh, Christmas readings. It'll be a chance to really reflect on the birth of Jesus and kind of just get ready for the Christmas season together. So that'll be at all three of our services next week. A great opportunity uh, maybe to invite a friend to Horizon. Um, Have a great day.